Hi guys! I'm so happy to be here today with you. It's such a beautiful day outside. Like, happy Thursday. The sun is fucking shining. And I can feel spring creeping closer every day. And I kind of have like a mix of everything episode planned for you guys today. The first thing I wanted to mention was that Andrew Tate has been announced to have lung cancer. So apparently they found like a black spot on his lung and he had to be rushed to the hospital. And let's not forget that he is literally still in Romanian prison for human fucking trafficking charges. So it says here on this article by NDTV.com that him and his younger brother and two Romanian women, I'm surprised that they were in on this, they are under investigation for allegedly forming an organized criminal group under human trafficking and rape. And then they compelled the women, basically forced them, into forced labor and pornographic acts for quote-unquote substantial financial benefits. And I love how they're like, putting like compelling women into sexual acts in quotes like it's just something where he was like hey like can you do this for me (laughs) and like he was just asking them they also released a picture of him before and after going into prison and he looks so bad and a lot of people were just saying that his baggy skin and like weight loss are just the side effects of steroid withdrawal and to be honest I kind of believe them because I'm sure have you guys heard about like the whole liver king about how he was like he admitted that he was using steroids and apparently one of his confidential notes between him and his psychiatrist or something got leaked, which I'm wondering how did that get out into the fucking world? But I hope he's doing okay now. I'm glad he's living his steroid liver truth. But honestly, it really makes me think about like all of the content that's fed to men about trying to be like an alpha male and like live your best life and what women really want because I'm starting to think that men don't really know what women really want I mean honestly women don't know what we really want but it's crazy because I call this episode entering the manosphere because I feel like our society is divided a lot by like gender and gender wars they have a bunch of games like battle against the sexes and like shows where like men and women compete against each other and I'm kind of realizing that our world kind of doesn't set it up for I guess men and women to be equal and to set up an environment that kind of encourages togetherness and it's weird because like I'm on Reddit, like, looking for posts to read on this episode, and I'm seeing posts in the Ask Men subreddit. It's like, men, what do you really want from women? And then, obviously, in the Ask Women, they're asking the same question. So, it's kind of crazy to think about because, like, 
honestly, when I originally said this, someone on Reddit called me sexist, but I basically said that in order to start bridging the gap between man and woman, we have to acknowledge that we're different. And so the whole like 50-50 ordeal kind of has never worked for me because I don't believe that we're like 100% equal to even split things up 50-50. And I was basically trying to explain to my boyfriend like the difference between equality and equity. And so I feel like when it comes to men and women, we have to make sure that we're like sitting at the same table before we can even begin to split up things 50-50. And I honestly, I have never kind of believed in like a 50-50 way even like with my friends and family, I kind of have just always embodied like the communist mentality of like everybody eats. Not the commune in like the fascism way. Commune as in like the communist way with like the hippies and we live on a farm and they have the nude beaches. I kind of just want everyone to like bring what they can to the table because men and women do bring different things to the table. And when I said this on Reddit, they called me sexist in saying that, like, I'm not even giving men a chance by assuming that we can't bring the same thing to the table. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying if you as a man, if what you bring to the table is being able to lift heavy things, having know how about some things that I don't, then you can do that. And if I know how to, I don't know fucking fix cars and decorate a house and cook every day then I'll do that I believe in like the value of trading skills and bartering I don't think that like bills should be split 50 50 housework should be split 50 50 if that's the way you need to do it in your relationship you guys can do it that way but I do kind of feel like it would put a lot of strain on their relationship because each party is like pressured to do and make the same amount and so I actually was just telling my friend about like my plans for this episode and about the gender wars and she actually didn't know that men are more likely I want to say they're like several times more likely to commit suicide than women so I have this article pulled up here it says why more men than women die by suicide it's by BBC future so Six years ago, my brother took his own life. He was 28 years old. Tragically, suicide is not as rare as one might think. In 2016, the last year's global data is available from the World Health Organization. There were an estimated 793,000 suicide deaths worldwide. Most were men. In the UK, the male suicide rate is at its lowest since 1981, 15.5 deaths per 100,000. But suicide is still the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45, and a marked gender split remains. For UK women, the rate is a third of men's 4.9 suicides per 100,000. It's the same in many other countries. Compared to women, men are three times more likely to die by suicide in Australia, three times 
more likely in the U.S. and four times more likely in Russia and Argentina. And I'm not surprised that they're four times more likely in Russia and stuff because I would think anywhere where they have like stricter expectations of men and stricter like beliefs for the society since the pressure is higher the the mental break is probably going to be higher too so it says the data shows that nearly 40 percent of countries have more than 15 suicide deaths per 100,000 men only 1.5 show a rate that high for women the trend goes back a long way as long as we've been recording it we've seen this is this disparity says psychologist jill vice president of research for the american foundation of suicide prevention Okay, suicide is a hugely sensitive, complex issue with a tangled multitude of causes and the very nature of death by suicide means we can never fully know the reasons behind it. That's definitely true. Still, as mental health awareness has grown, there is greater public understanding about potential contributing factors. One of the questions that has persisted, though, regards this gender gap. It seems especially large given that women tend to have higher rates of depression diagnosis. Yes, this is definitely true. Okay, something that I've never understood in the world, which I kind of get that it's our nature to like analyze things and compare things, but I don't understand why people are always like, oh, the male suicide rate is higher. Oh, the women's rate of anxiety and depression is higher, so we must be struggling more. Basically... Of course, the rate of anxiety and depression in women is going to be higher because I feel like women, A, have a safer space to voice their worries and issues, and B, I feel like they're more likely to take the initiative to go get help for their issues instead of just trying to self-medicate on their own. I read in this horrible book, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, do not read it, it was horrible, but he was basically saying that women are more likely to experience their emotions inwardly and be like, why me, what's wrong with me, what can I do to fix myself, and then men are more likely to be like, what's wrong with the world, and externalize their issues with like outward rage and anger and other feelings so I'm not surprised that women have more of a depression diagnosis probably because they're more likely to try to get fucking therapy okay men need to just seek therapy Okay, so the rest of the article says women also are even more likely than men to attempt suicide in the U.S., for example, adult women in the U.S. reported a suicide attempt 1.2 times as often as men, but male suicides are often more violent, making them more likely to be completed before anyone can intervene. That's a horrible statistic to read. Access to means is a big contributing factor. In the U.S., for example, 6 in 10 gun owners are men, and firearms account for more than half of suicides. That's insane. Okay, so <laughs> this is going to be a little pause for a second. The article is recommending me other articles that I might like. So it also says, how social media shapes my depression. Can blue lights prevent suicides at train stations and the surprising benefits of electroconvulsive therapy? Interesting. 
Men may also choose these methods because they're more intent on completing the act. One study of more than 4,000 hospital patients who had engaged in self-harm found, for example, that the men had higher levels of suicidal intent than the women. Why are men struggling and what can be done about it? Risk factors. One key element is communication. It's too simplistic to say that women are willing to share their problems and men tend to bottle them up, but it is true that for generations, many societies have encouraged men to be strong and not admit that they're struggling it often starts in childhood we tell boys that boys don't cry um okay wait guys I lost my space we tell boys that boys don't cry we condition boys from a very young age to not express emotion because to express emotion is to be weak we tell mothers, too, that they talk way more about their girl children than their boy children, and they share and identify feelings more, she says. We almost expect women to be more emotional. I feel like that's definitely true. And then they say, from a young age, we condition men to think that crying is a sign of weakness. But men may be less likely to admit when they feel vulnerable, whether to be themselves, friends, or a partner. They also can be more... I don't know what this word is. I guess they're more likely to not see a doctor and not tell them all the information than women. So it also says that general primary care consultation rates were 32% lower in men than in women. Consultation rates for depression assessed by whether patients receive antidepressant prescriptions were 8% lower in men than in women. Men seek help for mental health less often. It's not that men don't have the same issues as women, but they're a little less likely to know they have whatever stresses them or mental health conditions that are putting them at greater risk for suicide if a person is not convinced that they have a condition causing their distress then they're less aware that nothing could be done to help them only a third of people who take their own lives are mental health care treatment at the time dangerously rather than seeking help through established channels some men may attempt to self-medicate there tends to be more substance use and alcohol use amongst males which may just reflect the distress they're feeling but we know it compounds the issue of suicide indeed men are nearly twice as likely as women to meet criteria for alcohol dependence but drinking can deepen depression and increase impulsive behaviors and alcoholism is a known risk factor for suicide other risk factors can be related to family or work if there's an economic downturn that results in increased unemployment for example there tends to be an increase in suicide typically 18 to 24 months after the downturn one 2015 study found that for every 1% increase in unemployment, there's a 0.79 increase in the suicide rate. That's really sad. Having to worry more about finances or trying to find a job can exacerbate mental health issues for anyone. But there are elements of social pressure and identity crisis too. We're brought up our entire lives to judge ourselves in comparison with our peers and to become economically successful. When there are economic factors we can't control, it becomes very difficult. There can also be a spiraling effect. In the U.S., for example, health insurance often is linked to unemployment. If a person is being treated 
treated for depression or substance use, they may lose that care when they lose their job. Another risk factor is a sense of isolation. As physician Thomas Joyner writes in his book, Why People Die by Suicide, this can manifest itself in every walk of life. The outwardly successful professional who has prioritized career advancement to the detriment of all else, including social relationships, may find himself at the top of the pyramid alone. I actually struggle from that a lot, guys. Of course, it is important to remember that while an external factor might precipitate suicidal behavior in a person who's already at risk, it's never the sole cause. Millions of people lose their jobs. Almost all of us have lost a relationship and we don't end up dying by suicide. And then it says possible solutions. There are no straightforward fixes for an issue this complex, but a number of programs and nonprofits are making inroads. In Australia, for example, mental health and suicide prevention groups are trying to shift the cultural paradigm. One initiative has gained traction is the Are You Okay Day, which encourages people to support those struggling with life by starting a conversation. Another approach is the shoulder-to-shoulder principle, encouraging men to talk while otherwise occupied, like watching football or going for a bike ride. Mates in Construction, a training and support program, raises awareness of high suicide rates in the industry and shows construction workers how they can be a part of the solution. Overall, there's an emphasis on making it okay for men to talk about how they're feeling and for that to be acknowledged as a sign of strength. Technology is presenting new options too. Not everyone might want to unburden themselves to another person or even a helpline, but artificial intelligence such as chatbots might allow a vulnerable person to communicate and get the help they need without fear of judgment. This part is fucking insane. Okay, I kind of agree with everything else, but I don't feel like I want men talking to AIs to solve their emotional issues. Um, I definitely feel like that's one of the things we need to limit to humans only, because only humans can understand the emotional complexity of other humans. Um, I do want to ask you guys if you've heard the stuff about Snapchat Plus. Apparently, they have an AI feature where you can talk to an AI. That's really weird. Who the fuck would need Snapchat Plus anyway? Because it just gives you extra backgrounds, clothes for your Bitmoji, and you can talk to an AI. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard of. If you guys also haven't heard about the Replica AI, there are people who are like having sexual relationships with the Replica AIs and they're like sexually abusing them. But I wonder, is it ethical because it's an AI? And of course, we would rather have them abuse these robots than to abuse real people. But A, that's a sign of needing help. And B, why would Replica even design like an AI virtual sex like girlfriend or boyfriend chatbot I feel like at that point like I said guys we're getting closer and closer to the fucking sun we're getting closer and closer to turning into Wally where we all just sit back into not technology does everything for us until it eventually takes over and we fucking go extinct But I'm going to read the rest of the article for you guys it says technology is presenting new options too Okay, another strategy is to focus on the impact suicide has on loved ones. Calm's campaign, Project 84, so named to represent the 84 men who die weekly by suicide in the UK. That is so fucking sad to have it down to an exact number. 84 people a week. 
It stresses the devastation left behind. This can counteract the sins by some men that it's the right thing to take themselves out of the equation. He emphasizes staying is always an option. Other solutions have to do with simply making suicides more difficult to complete. After barriers are installed on the Clifton Suspension Bridge in England, for example, one study found that deaths from jumping off the bridge halved, and there was no evidence that suicides from jumping off other sites in the area increased in response. Still, more work obviously has to be done. Driscoll compares how there's often more attention paid to reducing the road fatalities than to suicide prevention despite suicide taking more lives. In Australia, for example, the over-suicide rate in 2015 was 12.6 per 100,000, the highest rate in more than a decade compared to road deaths. More research is needed too. There are differences between men and women in our biology, our hormonal structure, and the way our brains developed and function. But men and women are often studied together. And despite attempts to statistically control the differences, it's not enough. She believes we need to study men and women separately. Oh my fucking God, this is my queen. Her name is Harkavi Friedman. I'm just saying, so when I say it, people call me sexist, but when she says it, they literally still don't want to accept her data that we need to study men and women separately. Stop lumping us together or we're never going to get the data that we need. And I understand that, okay, men and women are equal in a sense. We're equal in so many ways, but as far as biology and hormones and pheromones and the structure of our brains and then when you add in the fucking societal aspect of it and how women and men are like raised in society we're not the same so we need to be studied separately so then it says but there are positive signs Friedman notes a huge change on the professional side, recalling at the beginning of her career, it was hard to get a paper accepted on suicide because it was thought that you couldn't prevent suicide. Now we know that to be wrong. She also points out to more government involvement than before. On World Mental Health Day in 2018, the UK government announced its first suicide prevention minister. The UK has been ahead of the game every step along the way, she says, adding that she believes there has been a decrease in the UK suicide rate because a national strategy has been implemented. This situation is unquestionably getting better. We are seeing momentum we've never seen, and you can actually talk about suicide and people still flinch, but they're more willing to have the conversation. This has had positive effects as the decline in the UK suicide shows. Still, it's not enough. Any life lost to suicide whether male or female is a life too many well that was a good article guys it definitely made me think and I feel like a lot of us need to think more about gender studies too because men and women are so different and complex in so many ways and it seems like each gender is always trying to figure the other one out and if we like ask each other and talk to each other instead of leaving so many things up into like space I'm sure we'd probably have a lot better understanding in the world but that will require of course both genders to articulate their feelings and then to even know what they're feeling to be able to articulate it which is an entirely different skill but I do question guys like I wonder a lot of the times like 
is it okay for a person to commit suicide? Because in so many other aspects of life, we emphasize like, oh, personal agency, it's my body, it's my choice, and other things like that. So I wonder, is it ethical to take your own life away? Because I understand like the emotional devastation of our friends and our families and everything we leave behind. But at the end of the day, is it still that person's decision to be able to do it themselves? Because obviously we shouldn't kill or hurt or harm other people. But I'm not saying committing suicide only harms you because it harms other people too. But I'm saying physically it only harms you. So I'm going to put a poll on Spotify, guys about whether you think it's okay to take your own life because of our personal agency. So I have some other things lined up for you guys. This is kind of a random episode. So I hope you like everything that I curated and threw together for my week. So this is a Reddit post from r slash 2x chromosomes that says, do men really think they have it harder than women? I'm truly baffled. I spent way too much time today on another sub, which I had assumed was a pretty neutral sub, and now I'm astounded by how many men honestly believe their lives are more difficult than a woman's. I mentioned how women today are still more likely to die in a car accident than men simply due to not being considered in dummy test trials. Women have been gaslit since the beginning of time also regarding their medical issues as that famous quote goes it doesn't take much to be considered a difficult woman i mean modern gynecology is still built off the torture of vulnerable black women for god's sake in response to these issues i get slapped with well there are more men in jail than women so women have it easier and yeah women are more likely to break up a relationship so yeah men have it better um what Oh, and women are apparently responsible for that Tate ass clown. Oh, Andrew Tate, because men have higher suicide rates. Are there really this many men living in La La Land? And they wonder why they have a hard time getting laid. It's truly scary. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Okay, so there are a couple things I want to address here. Um... The first thing being that if you guys didn't know, I know I have... Honestly, guys... I was shocked to see this, but more than half of my audience are male listeners. So if you guys did not know, it's actually a common thing for women to go to the doctor, like saying symptoms and telling the doctor how they feel, especially if it's a male doctor and doctors are kind of just like, "Uh you're not feeling that way. And then they dismiss them and then they end up dying because they tried to get help and it didn't work. The other thing I want to address is... When she says that modern gynecology is built off the torture of vulnerable black women. Um, So firstly, the tools that doctors use for women are still so fucking medieval. And I bet if men had to get the same medical procedures that women had to get like every milestone of your life, like you have fucking pap smears 
mammograms. They literally have to dilate your vagina the size of a fucking hand and look inside it. And then they have the one where they put your boobs on a metal plate and squeeze your boobs together on a metal fucking plate. And I saw this exhibit at a museum that was like medical tools throughout the decades in women's history. And all of them look like fucking torture weapons. So I'm just saying if it was men, they would have come up with a lot more like painless ways to get this stuff done. And they have, they have come up with more painless ways to get stuff done for men. And then the other half of my point is there's actually like a story about how all, basically a large portion of our medical knowledge is based off one black woman that they illegally performed tests on against her will for like stem cell research and stuff. And that was like the baseline for a lot of the medical teachings that we know and use today. So I... To respond to this woman's post, I'm not really thinking that it's a question of do men really think they have it harder than women? And I feel like we need to be saying more like men and women have it harder in different ways. So these are the responses to her posts. It says, don't know if it's been said, but I think people have an inaccurate view of what privilege actually is. If you tell someone they have a privileged position in society because of their race, gender, class, or what have you, they think that their life should have been super easy and that they can quickly think of times when it hasn't been. That's not what privilege is, though. It's having it easier in specific ways than the person who doesn't have the same privilege. I feel like this also ties into that equality versus equity conversation. That means both groups will experience adversity and will struggle, but no one will typically have it worse than the other. Then here's another comment that says, also, in my experience, it is more that some men want to believe they have it harder than women. That's why they ignore all kinds of facts and data. Many want to see themselves as a tough underdog hero who bravely stands up against injustice, which is why they talk about the majority of prisoners are men, but not that the most frequent cause for death in pregnant women is murder by a man that's insane or that sex trafficking is a billion dollar industry that overwhelmingly enslaved women and girls for the pleasure of men because if they acknowledge those facts then they will actually have to do something to be a hero instead of just imagining themselves as a hero for merely existing as an underdog in a world he believes hates him and wants to drag him down a lot of men point blank refuse to listen to women they only listen to other men these men then go on rants about how privileged women are because sex then these brainwashed men pollute other men and they also refuse to listen to overly emotional biologically weaker women and boom men are convinced that they are the victims of life look at andrew taint <laughs> Hundreds of popular female content creators spoke out about how dangerous his ideals were and begged men to fucking think for a second. They got mocked and called irrational and dramatic. Daz Black, a male content creator, made a video about Andrew Tate and men applauded and agreed that he's, black, he's bad news. They're sheep. Then here's another one 
that says, I work in a medical field and even there with mostly female staff and bosses, a few male colleagues refuse to listen to any woman. They find our bosses incompetent and arrogant, but suddenly when a man became our boss, he got praised despite only having introduced himself. From another department, one guy lost his patience and screamed at our female boss, who do you think you are? You think you're more than me because you're a supervisor? No woman ever tells me what to do. I was in the same room when it happened. Luckily, he got fired for that, but he still blames women for getting fired instead of his own behavior. I've definitely heard things about people like not wanting to have women supervisors and that part. Okay, guys, first of all, I want to say not all men, okay? Not all men are pervy or racist or sexist or homophobic, but I feel like we can all admit that a good majority of them are. I'm going to leave things at that. I try not to be very sexist and I try not to hate all men. And ever since I've like opened up my mind and just started seeing people as people instead of people as genders and races and ages and stuff. It's honestly made my life a lot easier. So there are a couple more things I have for you guys. I put a post on my story. If you guys don't follow me, it's at the stoner fairy on Instagram. And I said, do you guys have any embarrassing moments you want me to read and react to on my podcast? So, someone submitted one that says, In middle school, I got sick before a pep rally and had to be taken home. My dad had to go to Walmart and couldn't wait to get me home. I was like 10 seconds in and I felt the need to puke. And before I could get to the trash can, I threw up in front of everyone checking out. Girl, I have definitely been there before. I actually have a couple funny moments to share with you guys. Okay, so when I was little... My mom would always take me to the beauty supply store and we'd pick out beads and bows and stuff for my hair so she could do it the next night. And so one day she took me to the beauty supply store and I don't remember if she picked me up from school or if we had eaten something, but I felt like I was about to vomit and I vomed all over the fucking floor. And then the beauty supply store was ran by like a Chinese lady and she was like, clean it up, like you clean it up now. And then my mom was like, no, I'm not cleaning that up. And then the lady was like, if you don't clean it up right now, you can never come back again. So I'm sure you guys can guess what happened. I'm banned from some random ass beauty supply store. Sorry to that woman. Um, if I would have known, I probably would have just cleaned it up myself, but it was pretty gross. I, I honestly feel like that would probably be like a first for a beauty supply store owner for someone, someone's child to vomit in your fucking store. I also have another embarrassing moment for you guys. So I, I think this had to have been the last couple of times I did acid with my boyfriend and no, I think it was Molly MDMA with my boyfriend. And when you do Molly, you like grind your teeth. And so we were both trying to go to sleep and he was like, Lena, like I can't go to sleep because your teeth are grinding. I was like, fine. So my genius solution to this was like, fine. <clears throat> if my teeth are grinding, I'll just suck on something like a piece of candy or I'll find something. So I'm looking through my room and the thing I find to suck on was a fucking coin. This wasn't even just my fucking Molly brain speaking. This is just my 
regular dumb as fuck brain and this is just my I kind of just wanted an excuse to eat a coin and so I pick a coin thinking that it'll stop me from like grinding my teeth and I put it in my mouth and I'm sucking on it and then not even one second in I start horrendously choking on the coin and like I'm freaking out my boyfriend is literally just staring at me and I'm like choking on the coin and then I finally hack it back out and then I went to sleep still grinding my teeth so that's the end of the story I have another silly moment in my life um my neighbor is like an old lady and we trade things back and forth all the time like food and vegetables and baked goods and so I asked her could I borrow her Swiffer for a job that I was doing and then I went to go do the job I get so in work mode that a lot of times I feel like I'm not even awake when I'm working and then I wake up and it's like the end of the week so I use her Swiffer for a job and I guess I returned it back to her and then I go home and I'm like worrying and worrying thinking that I didn't return her Swiffer and I'm like looking up new Swiffers and thinking about how am I going to tell her and then I go to break it to her that I lost her Swiffer and that I bought her a new one and then she tells me that I already returned it last week and then her and her husband were like laughing at me and they were like ha 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 you silly girl that's probably the silliest I've ever felt in my life so Um, another thing I have here, guys, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but you have to bear with me. So I have a couple questions for you guys. Do you feel like you could ever date someone with opposing political views? Because I feel like politics are so ingrained in our society. And then also like wanting a perfect partner is so ingrained in our society. You can't expect everybody to check every box. Like if you met the dream girl who was everything that you wanted, but she happened to be like a liberal or conservative, would you not be with her? In my case, I find that like that's actually what has happened to me. Like, my partner and I have, like, opposing political views, and sometimes it's hard, but most times I don't even really think about it, but the hardest part about having, like, opposing political views with someone you're in love with is that those political views also come with opposing beliefs on other, like, super important life issues, and so... I'm looking at the other stuff that I wrote down. I also wanted to tell you guys the story of how my ex-boyfriend cheated on me and I pulled out his fucking septic, like, rotting fucking tooth and he still cheated on me. Um, okay, so for those of you who don't know, I got kicked out of my parents' house when I was, like, 17 And so I was kind of like fending for myself like the queen I am. And so I moved into this shady ass renting house where like each person lives in a different room with my boyfriend I was dating at the time and so he he was a great boyfriend we just never kissed because his like breath always stunk and so the reason why his breath always stunk I found this out later on is because apparently his parents were like neglectful and they like hadn't taken him to the dentist for years And so I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think like a month after moving in, like things are already crazy. I'm not talking to my family. He's not talking to his family. He starts complaining about like pain in his cheek. 
And so I'm like shining my light and I see that he has a tooth in his mouth that has completely rotted through to the point where you can like smell it when he opens his mouth and you can see that it's rotting. So I didn't want him to fucking get sepsis and die. And so I told him, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to man up. We're about to pull your tooth. And so I pulled his tooth out and I actually, I'm a queen. So I sanitized the area really well. I sanitized my tools. I sanitized his mouth. And so I'm telling him like, we have to get this out or something really bad is going to happen. And so we sat him down in the bathroom and I think I pulled his tooth out with a pair of fucking pliers it was like a pair of needle nose pliers I swear to god but he actually didn't feel it at all because the tooth was completely dead and it was fucking gross but after that I basically saved his life and believe it or not we still didn't do much kissing after that but he did kiss someone else so I'm so happy he could be happy with his super clean mouth that I dated him for years and never got to experience but that's kind of what I was saying earlier about how I suffer from working 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 and then being alone at the top so the guy I was dating at the time he basically didn't have much and I had more like knowledge and skill and wherewithal than him so I used my skill to uplift us both to like a better place in life and then as soon as he was at a better stable place he's It was almost like he didn't need me anymore. Like, he started taking his anger out on me. Um, He didn't want to cuddle with me or kiss me anymore or anything. And so I'm glad that whoever he is with now gets to enjoy his super clean mouth and his missing tooth. And I wonder if he tells people the story behind that. So, I have a couple Reddit posts here that are in fucking sane. So, this one says, I feel repulsed by my wife. My wife, 25 female, and I, 37 male, have been together for six years, married for two. She had always been really slim, athletic, and in good shape, but was still really insecure about her body. When we decided to try for a baby, she was very worried about what pregnancy would do to her body. I reassured her as best as I could, confident that she'd look cute with a baby bump, and knowing her, she'd probably be super healthy during the pregnancy and work hard to get back in shape after giving birth. She ate healthy exercise lighter than normal and only put on 15 pounds during the pregnancy which is less than the doctor recommended amount our daughter was born two weeks ago this is only two weeks old our daughter was born two weeks ago a healthy seven pounds and six ounces the wife was just back to her pre-baby weight before we even left the hospital however to my surprise my wife started grossing me out during the pregnancy the big belly stretch marks acne and big dark nipples really put me off more than i had ever imagined I started turning her down for sex four months ago, and I hadn't even tried to be intimate since. Now that the baby's here, it's even worse. The number one on the scale may be the same. The number on the scale may be the same as it was before, but my wife is still different. Now that the baby's here, it's even worse. Um, her boobs are flabby. My wife doesn't look as good. Her gut is 
flabby and still fat and starting to sag. Her boobs are leaking milk. Her vagina is ruined and she looks old and haggard. (laughs) Guys, I'm not trying to laugh, but I feel like that would be like a hilarious fucking insult, like old and haggard. But that is definitely not the way to describe your wife. That's fucked up. He says she looks old and haggard despite being only 25. The stretch marks are permanent. I want to be attracted to her, but I just can't. I feel disgust and revulsion when I see her body, and I can never tell her because she's always been so insecure. On the other hand, I feel like the world's biggest asshole for feeling this way. She seems almost proud of her figure now because she's already lost all of the weight. I feel weirdly resentful about it, and it sort of bothers me that she might think she looks good, but she doesn't. This is so fucked up. And it scares me to know that there are men out there, like, feeling this way and thinking like this and feeling like their wives are old and haggard. So, he says, I hoped maybe I was feeling this way because of some sort of psychological problem on my part. Like, maybe my sex drive was dead because of the new parent stress or postpartum depression. But that's not the case. I can still become aroused and jerk off to porn. And lately, I've been very tempted by one of my co-workers. Oh, my fucking God. Then he says, I love being a dad. I love my wife. I used to love my marriage. My wife is such a sweet, selfless, caring woman. It would break her heart to know I feel this way. And I don't want to blow up my marriage over this, but I can't go on in a sexless marriage forever just because I can barely bring myself to look at her. This is fucking insane. This is fucking insane. And then the part about the coworker, that honestly scares me. So here are the replies to this. It says, marry while you're young and pretty so you don't end up lonely and miserable. This is what youth-obsessed men think, and this is how they genuinely feel, and you'll never be able to shame them out of it because they feel no shame. I'm saying this because this man is being sincere. He is a porn watcher who dated a teenager. He genuinely doesn't find her attractive and probably never will again. No matter how we feel about it, he's telling the truth, and this is how many men feel about it. I'm just saying that this is what you gamble with when you marry and reproduce with a man. I hope she human ATMs him. Oh my god. Men like this low-key make me laugh. I would bet my ass she looks fire. It's literally impossible to look old and ha- <laughs> It's literally impossible to look old and haggard at 25. Like I don't know a single woman who doesn't have stretch marks, pregnancy or not. I'd also bet my ass that she would have no problem finding a new man. They're everywhere, whereas he talks about being tempted by a colleague. How big are the chances that that colleague wants him? I'm guessing she just wants her, and I'm guessing he just wants her and assumes he can get her. This will turn out to be one of those stories on r slash relationship advice. I left my wife because I wasn't attracted to her and wanted a younger girl. Now I'm miserable and alone while men won't stop chasing after her. I now realize I want her back please help. Sorry, dude, you're probably already balding and already completed more than a third of your miserable life. You won't find an insecure, hot child teenager who will want to be your doormat. Honestly, they're kind of right. Like I said, I'm not saying that all men are horrible, but you guys have to admit, like, a good majority of them are. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, So listen to this one. 
the time I fucked up by getting tested to donate a kidney to my wife. I decided to get tested to see if I could donate my kidney to my wife of six years. We have two kids together, four and two. My wife got sick just after our son was born and is now in need of a kidney transplant. We checked with her relatives and none were a match or viable donor. Last week, I got tested and I knew it would be a long shot, so I decided to get tested to see if I could donate. I got a call the other day saying that I was a match. The doctor then said something about wanting to do additional testing due to some information from the HLA tissue test results. I didn't think much of it and agreed. Then the results came in and I was shocked and confused. He explained that now because of how DNA information has passed down through generations, a parent to child could have at least a 50% match. Siblings could have a 0 to 100% match. It was rare to have a high match as husband and wife. I asked what does that mean? He said that my wife and I have an abnormally high match percentage. Long story short, we're related. No, I'm not kidding. I was put up for adoption before I was born, placed into a family that moved across the country. I knew I was adopted, but we didn't have any formation, any information about my biological family. It was a closed adoption. I met my wife by chance eight years ago. I was on a trip from work and she was working at the site I went to. Um, we worked together for a week. We exchanged numbers and kept in touch. I was sent back there three more times that year, and each time we became closer. I was given the opportunity to be transferred out there in a new higher-paying position in a different department as as hers and the rest is history i don't know what to do moving forward but i know it may be wrong she is my wife and the mother of our kids the post is probably going to get removed but this is all true edit look at my name all of my family is from adopted parents my parents adopted me two minutes after i was born their name is on my birth certificate they have not told me anything about my bio parents and don't have any info her family is not a match as stated above most of her family has a low match potential or can't donate due to medical or other reasons i am two years older than my wife i do know that my wife was born when her parents were in their late teens this is insane. It sounds like something out of a fucking movie. Well, honestly, if this happened to me, I would probably st still stay together. Is that bad? I think I would definitely still stay together because we've already built a life up until that point and like nobody would know they were related unless we told them. So that's definitely decided. But do you guys think that children who are put up for adoption should have the base level of information about their biological parents? Like, is it fair for that information to be kept from them or even for the adoption agencies to have no information about their parents? I feel like it's kind of fucked up. So the replies to this post says, you already have kids and they are assumably healthy since you didn't mention any crazy abnormalities. If you're happy, you're happy. Donate the kidney to your sister wife and continue being great parents to your children. Honestly, I kind of agree. What would you guys do? Um, okay, so the last thing I want to read... <sighs> to you guys is this insane email I got so I'm going to change the names for safety reasons but this is just crazy it's just insane okay this is an email to my personal email 
it says, we met on Hinge, names redacted. I debated whether or not to send you this message. I realized that by sending this message, I could be giving you the impression that I am either desperate or mad, of which I am neither, I assure you. However, I happened to look at your profile today and noticed you had a video clip, which you did not previously have when we first messaged one another. You said how dating apps are designed to keep people single and therefore have them continue to use the apps. This is what really prompted me to reach out to you here and write you this message because what you said is something I have suspected for a long time. I can only imagine what you might think of me at this point, but the truth is I just really need to know something for an absolute fact. Did you actually get the last two messages I sent you? If you did but chose not to respond, that's absolutely fine. If you didn't respond back because you have no interest in communicating further, please just say so and I promise you will never hear from me again. If you did not get my last two messages, it means that we were intentionally disconnected. It would really help me a lot if you could just simply let me know whether you saw my last two messages or not. The messages in question were sent after you asked for an explanation of what I had on my profile. I am asking you this in order to find out if the app has disconnected us in some way. As crazy or paranoid as it might sound, I suspect that it did. I suspect this because there were five previous instances for me where on the surface of things, it appeared I was just up and ghosted by those who I was talking to. Now, I can understand it genuinely being the case that I was in fact ghosted by one or two of these women but in a few instances including where I was talking to you it seems to be the case that our communication was simply cut off by the app I suspect that this I suspect this because on where the conversations were going, it simply makes no sense to have been suddenly ghosted by someone who seems to have taken an interest in me. I wonder, have you also had experiences like this? I wouldn't be surprised if this is more common than people think. Anyways, I hope I am not causing you worry or concern by sending you this message. He definitely did, guys. Like I said, I am simply seeking answers for myself. This is just something I have to know. Again, if I am being too forward or you don't want to talk to me, by all means, let me know and you won't hear from me again. Um, I'm not going to make any comments on this message other than that it was very disturbing. Um, I did reply back to the guy and tell him I guess I asked him to reply with a picture of his profile so I can see if if people at the hinge headquarters were (laughs) intentionally disconnecting us or if I just ghosted him and I'm sure you guys can probably guess what the answer was um redacted if you're listening to this I'm sorry for ghosting you okay so I have a couple more things a lot more things to run down So, I made a list of my top five spices. Okay, guys, these are my top five spices. Number one on the list is turmeric. I put that shit on every fucking thing. Smoothies, fruit, waffles, fucking soup, literally everything. Number two is cinnamon. I recently found out that you can put cinnamon in soup. And guys, you need to try it. It is so fucking good. And I've never, like, experienced cinnamon in a savory way up until recently. And it was worth it. You guys need to try it. Number three on my list is garam masala. Um, It's just an all-around good spice to have in your cupboard. Honestly, I'm going to say garam masala and cumin. You definitely need those. 
And then at the bottom of my list, I put Rosemary and Time. Hopefully you guys can can get some wisdom from that. Okay, so let's see what else I have here. Okay, so I have a tweet saved here that says, one important question to ask yourself when you've been worrying about the same problem for a while is if I wasn't thinking about this, what else would I be thinking about? Or if this was resolved, what action would I take next? Oftentimes, staying stuck in figuring it out mode is a clever way we protect ourselves from thinking about the more vulnerable problem. Figure it out mode is also a clever way to protect you from taking the vulnerable action that is waiting for you once you get done figuring it out. I don't really know what I was meaning by sending myself that tweet to read out to you guys, but I do feel like I personally need some time to figure things out before I act, and that is a way to protect myself. I don't really know what this person is saying by this tweet. Is she saying that maybe we shouldn't take the time to figure things out? I don't know. She's saying that we shouldn't worry about the same problem over and over again, which I guess is true, but guys, if you need to stay stuck in figuring it out mode and you're stuck confused and don't know how you feel or what you're doing, don't just automatically try to push yourself out of that mode. I would honestly say keep trying to figure it out. Okay, so another thing I wrote down here is to tell you guys about the book I've been reading. It's called Eating Animals by Jonathan Foer, and it's really good. Um, By the title, you would probably think it's like a case about, oh, why we should be vegan or vegetarian, but actually the book isn't really a case for either. It's like a testimony of this guy and about his life and why he went vegetarian and why he wants his son to be vegetarian. And they also talk about like, it gives you the statistics of factory farming and it tells us that animal agriculture is responsible for more than 40% of pollution in the world. And they basically try to make us think that it's like other stuff, but it's actually big companies that are doing all this damage. And the I it took me a while to get rid of that like climate guilt to where I felt like it was my responsibility to not use plastic bags. I can't use straws. I have to do everything I can. But honestly, guys, no matter how many times you fucking ride your bike to work instead of using the gas on your car, no matter how many reusable bags you use, the majority of pollution and global warming is always going to be the responsibility and like the result of factory farming and companies and the government more than it could ever be us. And when they tell us that we have to do all of these things to save the environment, it's basically a way to save their asses and saying, okay, well, you little poor people, just clean it up. Just clean up the mess that we made, basically. And I care about the environment. I mean, I'm vegan. I care about the environment more than most people because of that fact. But I'm just saying... I also, I don't feel like it should be my responsibility to clean up the mess that someone else made, even though we all live on this earth. So the book asks a bunch of really good questions, like, why is it sometimes morally permissible to eat animals and not other times? If it's okay to eat meat, then why do some of us feel so much guilt when we do? And is it really okay to do what we want at the moral expense of others? 
And this is honestly a really good book because it asks a lot of really important questions and raises points like by asking people to go vegan or vegetarian, you're basically taking away cultural experience, familial experience, you're taking away food that might be easily accessible to them, and it's not, it's a lot to ask of someone to can you just not eat meat for the rest of your life and save the planet for some animal you've never met. I get that. But the book is basically saying that even though we've never met that animal or if the roles were switched, even if we never met that person, what makes your life and your decisions more valuable than theirs, I guess? And a lot of people would argue that, oh, like humans are the alpha predator, which is why we need to eat meat. But if we've evolved to not have to eat meat anymore for survival, then at that point, you're basically choosing like to harm innocent animals, you're choosing to contribute to global warming, and you're choosing to contribute to, like, an industry that's, honestly, the dairy industry is misogynistic in a way because it's built off the abuse of, like, the abuse and mutilation of female animals. A lot of people don't know that in order for cows to produce milk, just like humans, they actually have to be pregnant. So, dairy farmers are artificially inseminating i.e. raping these cows every day and forcing them to bear kids and then as soon as their children are born they take them away from them steal their milk and feed them like shit and there the book actually breaks down a lot of really good points about the laws of free range and the laws about organic and the laws about what you can call free range and organic are basically determined state by state Um, so people can claim that something is free range, but free range can just mean that they have a window in their enclosure when they normally wouldn't. And it's hard, it's impossible to know where what you're eating is coming from unless you see it or grow it or butcher and slaughter it yourself. And that way, I kind of feel like people who farm like their own meat, it's not that bad because at least you know where it's coming from. You're using every part of the animal and you're worshiping every part of the animal and you're actually taking responsibility for that life that you killed. But I would say until you've had to butcher your own fucking food for your family, then it's not really okay for any of us to eat meat or dairy. Um, the book also said a lot of stuff about how the moral dilemmas the man was having because he wanted his son to be vegetarian because he didn't support the abuse of animals. He knows that it's a healthier lifestyle, but he was also sad because if his son was vegetarian, it meant he'd never get to try his grandma's food. And that was something that held their family together when he was little. And so I haven't gotten to the end yet, but I will give you guys an update when I do. It's really, really good. Okay, so I also have here a a study. They recently did a study to where they found out that fish are more self-aware than we thought they were. And so they basically found out that fish can recognize their self in photos and they can see their reflection 
way more than we once thought. And in, like, the culture, people like to say that, oh, it's okay to kill fish, it's okay to kill bugs, it's okay to kill these things, because they think that they're not smarter, or they think that they can't feel. But now that it's been revealed that fish have a higher capacity to feel pain and to see themselves in their reflections than we thought they were, then I'm honestly wondering what is the excuse now? So this article says, some fish can recognize their own faces in photos and mirrors, an ability usually attributed to humans and other animals considered partially brainy, such as chimpanzees, scientists report. Finding the ability in fish suggests that self-awareness may be far more widespread among animals than scientists once thought. It is believed widely that the animals that have larger brains will be more intelligent than animals of the small brain, such as fish. It may be time to rethink that assumption. Coda's previous research showed that blue streak cleaner wrasses can pass the mirror test, a, conver- a controversial cognitive assessment that purportedly reveals self-awareness or the ability to be the object of one's own thoughts. The test involves exposing an animal to a mirror and then surreptitiously putting a mark on the animal's face or body to see if they notice it on their reflection and try to touch it on their body. Previously, only a handful of large brain species, including chimpanzees and other great apes, dolphins, elephants, and magpies, have passed that test. In a new study, fish have passed the mirror test. Then they were able to distinguish their own faces in those of other fish in still photographs. This suggests that the fish identify themselves the same ways that humans are thought to, by forming a mental image of one's face. I think it's truly remarkable that they can do this. I think it's an incredible study. DeWall is quick to point out that failing the mirror test should not be considered evidence of a lack of self-awareness. Still, scientists have struggled to understand why some species that are known to have complex cognitive abilities, such as monkeys and ravens, have not passed. Researchers have also questioned whether the test is appropriate for species like dogs that rely more on scent or pigs that may not care enough about a mark on their bodies to try to touch it. The mixed results in other animals make it all the more astonishing that a small fish can pass. So I just want you guys to think about that. I feel like we need to take away like the moral guilt behind food because food is just something that we need and it's something that we need for nourishment and it's something that we do for togetherness. And there have actually been studies that have shown that eating together like with people you love releases like dopamine and serotonin and just chemicals that do good things to your brain. I feel like a lot of people think that like, this is what I was saying, like not all men, but most of them are. A lot of people think that vegans are like these preachy, self-righteous assholes. I understand that a lot of them can come off that way, but there are a lot of chill vegans in the world I'm chill. I would never try to push my beliefs on other people, but I will inform you of all of the information that is there for you to be able to make that decision on their own. So I'm not saying I think that I'm better than anybody, but I do think that the animal agriculture industry is really sad. And the I think this book is a really good book to read if you don't know a lot about veganism or vegetarianism, or maybe if you're on the fence Um, it also talks about 
how if all of these animals have brains, what makes it okay to eat cows and pigs but not dogs if they're on the same level of intelligence? And then he explains that in some countries, it's okay to eat dogs. They eat dogs, cows, pigs, squirrels, everything. So why do we frown down upon those countries but not frown down upon ourselves? So guys, just think about that. Um, here are a bunch of other things. Let's see. So I also put down my daily mantras for you guys. These are the daily mantras that I've been repeating in my life. I think in the last episode, I said that I was looking on moving out to a house. Guys, it worked. I'm moving into my beautiful home very soon. I'm going to do an MTV Pimp My Cribs tour. Um... I try to repeat these mantras every day and do this thing called like toxic positivity. It's basically where you remain positive so much that you positivity yourself to death and it eventually like you start to believe it and you feel it in your daily life. So my mantras are, I will have a beautiful life. I will get what I deserve. Every struggle will be worth it. And then it doesn't have to only be these things. Um, Just anything to where you try to speak positivity in your life. I believe that I'm not saying that manifestation and like crystals and stuff are real, but I do generally believe that if you have a more positive outlook on life, you will eventually live that more positive outlook on life. And so I also had another thing I wanted to tell you guys, since I'm the queen of talking about the psychological effects of fucking dating apps on us in the world. So there was a guy that I met last summer on Tinder and we were seeing each other and everything was good. And so since we both met on Tinder, obviously we weren't exclusive. And so he was asking me like, are we exclusive? Can we be exclusive? And I was like, no, we're not exclusive. But right now I am only seeing you sexually for the sake of sexual safety. I'll let you know if I start seeing multiple people. And so mind you, like we never kissed or anything. And we were using like condoms and stuff the entire time, even though I'm on birth control. I only let the real ones fuck raw. So basically... I guess the guy, he thought, this was his explanation. He basically ended up getting herpes and he contacted me and told me to get tested. And so I'm like, what the fuck? Like literally what the fuck? I said that I wasn't seeing any other people and you said that you weren't seeing any other people. So basically his reasoning was that he thought that I was too attractive to be telling the truth about not seeing other people. So he saw other people too in a way to get back at me. And this is another reason why I try to stay off fucking Tinder because people are fucking crazy. And I got tested, guys. This was like last year. I got tested. It was $50. I'm like crying in the fucking testing center and they're trying to ask me my information, like my date of birth. And I'm like, January. It's It was fucking bad. And so the test was $50 that I did not have. And so I was telling the guy, I was like, hey, I just got tested. I get the results back in a couple days. Like you owe me $50. I don't have insurance. And so then the guy has the fucking odd audacity this bitch literally said that I was fucking lying about getting tested and needing the $50 and 
I don't understand why this man thinks that everybody's out to get him. And so, basically, um, he contacted me, and he still continues to contact me over and over again, um, and I just keep ignoring him, but I'm the type of person to, like, ignore someone, but keep the marriage, keep the messages there, just so I can see what they're saying, (coughs) and so I blocked him after he almost gave me herpes, and I was kind of hurt by the situation, too, because I'm an honest person, and I would want him to be an honest person, but if anything, I'm telling this story to try to, like, raise awareness about, like, the danger of dating apps, and why we should just meet people in real life, because, like, the risk of someone, first of all, if you're on Tinder, and it's a hookup app, you're already more likely to be hooking up and be exposed to STDs and stuff than other groups of people, so just be aware of that, guys. So, he basically, I got a text from a random number last week at 9 p.m. So, they say, hey. I say, hi, who is this? And then he says, redacted. I think about how you're doing a lot. And then I said, oh, I thought I blocked you. And then he's saying, I just want to talk to you. I got a new number. I'm sorry. I love you. And then I said, redacted. I'm sorry, but I just don't feel that way about you. The time we had together was great, but at the end of the day, I was honest with you and you lied. Then I told him that I got back together with my ex and that there's no chance of anything happening between us. And I told him that I really hoped that he could heal and get the closure that he needs because I can't give that to him. And then I said that he still owes me 50 fucking dollars because he does. And so then he texted me back. And he says, well, I love you and I wanted to be your boyfriend the whole time. And you told me that you weren't trying to date and a bunch of weird shit, which led me to sleep with this other person. And so he says that the reason that he slept with someone else and contracted herpes and put me at risk for herpes is because I did not want to date him, ladies and gentlemen. You heard that right. So... That's my PSA for the week to please just stay off Tinder. And I get like the whole like catching feelings things because we were like hooking up. And that's the thing. I had expressed that I just wanted to hook up and he had said that he was okay with hooking up. And okay, here's the thing. Sex is not supposed to be something that creates feelings between people, but it's supposed to be something that intensifies and develops feelings that are already there. And I don't, that's kind of why I don't like Tinder and why I don't like hookup culture, because sex shouldn't be like the catalyst towards an emotional connection. It should be like the result of an emotional connection that's already established. And so I get where he's coming from, where he's saying that, like, I guess he felt like he wanted more and I didn't want more, so he slept with someone else. But at that point, he could have, well, he could have still used protection, A, and it's never, like, my fault that he slept with someone else just because I didn't want to date him. And again, guys, this would be another problem that could have just been solved by communication. There are not many problems that can't be solved by just communicating alone. So, I put a couple other things on my list. I put here the story of how last night I was high as fuck watching Family Guy and I kept 
perpetually warming up soup and putting it in the microwave while high. So I would warm it up, go to check on it. It still isn't hot. And so I'd warm it up, go back to the room, watch Family Guy. I'd be high as fuck, so I'd watch, like, the entire episode and then come back and my soup is cold and then have to warm it up again and then get distracted again and then warm it up again. So at the end of the night, I actually ended up eating cold soup. It's bad, guys. (laughs) Don't be like me. And then I also put a couple tips for you guys. Um, that I've been doing to kind of like just enhance my life a little bit. If you guys subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash the stoner fairy podcast, I put my ins and out lists for March and on my ins list, I put infused water guys. I've been loving a good infused water. I've been making like a weekly tea. I think last week's tea was like ginger mint passion fruit hibiscus I don't even know what it was but it was so fucking good guys you need to get on the patreon so we can all share the same things it's five dollars a month I also put on my list that I want you guys to stretch with intention in the morning and that's another way to kind of enhance your life like stretch like your life depends on it in the morning and it's a good start to your day and it's a good like rush of adrenaline too another tip I wanted to give you guys is I listen to brown noise while I'm sleeping it's really good and I try to sleep in complete darkness um I also keep my phone on do not disturb at the foot of the bed and just try like sleeping without your phone near your face and I promise guys it'll do you like a world of difference so I also put my favorite way to sleep um okay so there are actually a few different ways to sleep I think they have the stomach sleeper which is the least common way to sleep then they have the side sleeper and then they have the back sleeper um and then I want to say there's one other one but I like to sleep on my side with like a nice little pillow in between my legs or like my stomach with my face completely burrowed into the pillows I'm shocked that stomach sleeping is like the least common way of sleeping because it's so fucking comfortable okay so I also put something about mirrors being gateways to other universes what do you guys think about that? I try to keep like a lot of mirrors in my home. I really like them and I feel like they always really open up a space, but they also carry like a lot of like spiritual baggage and weight like in the world and cultural baggage too. I read this book when I was younger called No Mirrors in My Nana's House and it was basically about how the girl had grew up in her grandma's house and it didn't have any mirrors and then when she finally moved out she put a mirror in her house and saw what she looked like and stuff and didn't want to like look at it every day because it made her feel like I guess insecure and so she took it down and lived with no mirrors for the rest of her life. It was like a fictional story, but it's still really moving. Um, I've also seen a lot of things about like people like saying don't look in the mirror when you trip on acid and stuff. I don't really know how I feel about that. I I try not to look in the mirror, but I will also say I also haven't had any bad experiences when I do look in the mirror while tripping. So 
Here's some other things I wrote down. I wrote down my celebrity crushes. Jake Gyllenhaal. I love him. Kirsten Dunst. She was in the Teen Virgin Suicides. Anya Taylor-Joy. You guys, this is an Anya Taylor-Joy safe space. You're always going to hear me bring her up because she's my queen. And Ezra Miller, too. I know that's problematic. Just, I know it's problematic. I won't say anymore. Also, whoever the guy is that played, like, Roderick in Diary of a Wimping Kid, I want to say his name is, like, Brendan, like, Faust or something. I fucking need him. I need him so bad. I also wrote down um, something about life after death. I guess basically asking, what do you guys think happens when you die? And if there was nothing after death, then why do they call it, like, life after death? Um, I used to be really scared to die. I'm not really scared anymore. I feel like it would be soothing for me to just kind of let go of everything in this physical world and start, like, the new chapter of my life, whatever that may be. I've accepted that life is a cycle I feel and I'm trying to embrace each chapter in each phase of my life as it comes so honestly guys I I know you can't really say this with nothing to like back it up but I feel like I've come to terms with death and I'm like ready to die whenever that time may be I know that death can be like really scary but I also feel like religion wise they're kind of encouraging that belief and that propaganda by telling people that like oh instead of just death being death there's going to be like some magical place where all of your loved ones can be together and you can be whole and you will be saved and I understand that some people like need something to believe in a lot of times I wonder like for Christians is heaven more of a place or more of a concept because if it was a concept and you just needed something to believe in and something to motivate you then it would be okay but I've seen like a lot of Christians like condemning people out of heaven and saying like oh you're gonna burn in hell as if like there's actually some place like fucking in the clouds where we all fly and we can all be there and everything is normal and it's just like earth I definitely don't think that's true but if I do end up burning in hell at least that's where all the real ones are so take me down there okay so I also have something about blood packs guys I scribble in my journal throughout the week so I don't really know where I was going with the blood packs um I guess I don't feel any type of way about them if that's what you're into go for it I also wrote down your man crush Monday's porn history. This happened to me, guys. So Twitter still has the ability to where you can look at people's like history. Do not fucking do it. Because I was liking this guy and I went to his page and looked through his likes and his likes was a bunch of like insane like disturbing porn like girls getting breeded and then choked and hair pulled I'm not saying that's not what I like that is what I like but it was like straight up porn I didn't see a single regular tweet in there another thing I wrote down was anal and kinks and what kinks are problematic so I 
I'm a fan of anal, but I've never been able to successfully do it. I've been trying to plug train myself to be able to do it. It's hard. Um, I need more lube and I need more plugs, but I want to be able to like enjoy anal like I hear other people being able to enjoy it. Not just for like the porn aspect, but just because I want to know what it feels like and if it's possible for it to actually feel good to me. Um, as for my kinks, guys, I'm a kinky girl. I'm going to try to keep it PG. Um, I'm into bondage. I'm into pet play. Um, I definitely have a daddy kink because I have daddy issues, <laughs> but it's weird because I have a mommy kink too. I would love to be like a mommy to a guy like I'll be your mommy. You can come lay on my chest, suck on my boobs. I like it. Um, I also wrote down my top three sex positions and this one is going to be easy. Okay. So for me, um, there aren't many sex positions that can, like, get me off. I just like having sex for the sake of having sex, and I'm the type of girl who needs, like, clitoral stimulation to be able to come, and you actually wouldn't believe, guys, I want to say it's something like 63% of women cannot come from penetrative sex alone, so if there are any guys listening, I want you to really try to think if some of the women you're with are faking it, because most women need, like, multiple things to be able to come. So, I normally like the vaginal stimulation and the clitoral stimulation, and that gets me every single time. But a lot of times, I'm not really having sex to come. I'm having sex because I just like having sex. My top three positions, and these are for top three of all time, for feeling, angles, and sexual pleasure of both parties. So, I'm going to say number one is going to have to be reverse cowgirl. I love her. I can strut my stuff. I can show what I'm working with. And that way the guy can just lay down and I can do what I need to do without him interfering. Um, it feels really good. People are always really impressed by it. There are different like alterations of this position you can do too. Like I also like to kind of put my legs in like a squatting position and bounce up and down like that. It feels really good. Any iteration of riding or cowgirl, I fucking like it. It feels good. Number two is going to have to be doggy style. And I'm not just saying doggy style on the bed. Doggy style on the floor. Doggy style in the car. Doggy style outside. This position, it's such a simple position that you almost have to spice it up with other things. So it gets better the more you do it and the different locations you do it in. I really like that position. Um, Number three, this is probably going to be a hard one. I don't want anyone to think I'm a plain Jane, but I'm probably going to say 69 or missionary. Missionary if I really love the person and I really love my boyfriend and I like to like see what I'm working with. So I'm definitely going to say missionary. Um, 69 feels really good. I have to like someone to have sex with them, but it's one thing to like someone and it's another thing to love them. So I like 69 because like you guys can kind of like be out of each other's faces and just kind of do what you do and it feels really good. So I don't know what I meant by problematic in the last part, but I guess I was just kind of thinking, um, 
what kinks may be problematic, like race play and stuff. But I, okay, guys, I'm not going to say anything about how I feel about race play, but I feel like, okay, if it, if you're the marginalized person and you want to grant your partner a pass to do whatever you want them to do for your sexual gratification I would say do it because in that situation you're still the one with all the power and you're still the one with all the control and if it's your experience and your word and stuff honestly I feel like you should have the power to like bestow it upon whoever you want to bestow it upon if that's what gets you off do it but I don't condone it if you're not the the race of the marginalized people that that stuff affects somebody also um asked me how to form relationships not based um on ego and performance and honestly guys I don't really know how to answer that question um I would definitely recommend reading the book ego is the enemy it's really good and it goes over a lot of those things I would definitely recommend psychedelics too because I've experienced ego death many, many, many times. And in experiencing ego death, it has also allowed me to like open my heart up more and seek out more genuine people in my life. And it's allowed me to honestly build relationships myself that aren't based on ego and performance. But if you guys maybe don't do drugs or can't like jump forward to the acid step first, I would say the baby step for how to form relationships that aren't rooted in ego and performance is probably just to stop performing. Be authentic, be real, be who you are, um, expect authenticity from others, and if they're not providing that, then the situation doesn't serve you anymore and you should leave. Um, I definitely would say say how you feel when you're feeling it. And to just really take charge of your feelings and your life and everything. And to get better at, like, identifying and articulating your feelings, too, to make sure you're not performing. And it also helps to get rid of that inner critic, which I still struggle with this every day. You're not weak for saying how you feel. You're not weak for crying. You're not weak for anything. So if we just assume that people won't look at us some type of way for being weak and saying how we feel, it'll help us kind of act that in our physical realm because I I think people will value it if you said how you feel when you felt it better than if you suffered in silence and it would save you like a lot of pain um another thing I wanted to give you guys was a movie update I just watched everything everywhere all at once I know I'm late to the party but it was really really good um, I also have a song recommendation for you guys. It's called Lay Me Down by Steve Lacey. That entire, um, album is just so good. I would definitely recommend it. Something I also wrote down is how it feels to be the only POC in the room. And I'm just gonna say, it's always super fucking awkward being, like, the only black person in the room because, like, 
okay, forget, like, different experiences amongst different genders, and let's talk about different experiences amongst different cultures, because I can't imagine if, I know how weird it feels to be, like, the only black person in a room, I can't imagine how it feels to be, like, the only, like, Asian person or the only Middle Eastern person in a room. Honestly, to be amongst people that aren't, like, of the same race as you just kind of feels weird in general because you feel out of place. Um, another thing someone DM'd me on Instagram, I guess maybe in regards to my last episode about the polyamory, you guys should check it out, is they asked me why I don't live with my boyfriend. And the reason I don't live with my boyfriend is honestly just because I like my own space and he likes his own space. And personal agency is really important to both of us. I don't want to feel like anyone's babysitter. Um, of course, he's free to stay over and chill whenever he wants, as long as he wants to. We can cosplay living with each other all we want. But at the end of the day, whenever we're done, we go back to our own separate lives, our own separate spaces. Um, especially quarantining together and living together during quarantine, there was a lot of my personal agency and a lot of his personal agency that just got wrapped up in the relationship. And now that the world is opening back up again, I kind of feel like I just need my own space and he feels the same. Um, it also helps to, to have like your own stuff until the point where you're ready to combine because then it you can always go and hang out at each other's spaces and it's really fun and you can also eliminate all of the problems that like commonly come with relationships like you can't argue about certain things if you don't live together and also it solves a lot of like financial issues too because everything is separate for me that just makes it easier because I don't like to rely on other people and I really really value my own personal space and even if we lived in like a three million square foot mansion I feel like there aren't a lot of places big enough that would make me okay with living and sharing my life and space with another person at such an early age I mean I'm only 19 I, the first place I moved out to was a rooming house and I was living with like seven other people. So we were sharing a bathroom and kitchen and everything. And so I'm still getting used to having my own stuff. And then when I quarantined with my boyfriend, we shared a room together and all of our stuff was mixed up then. And we shared a TV and had to take turns. It was a lot of different things. So honestly, I kind of just prefer living alone. I prefer things being right back where I left them without anything being touched. And I also think that in some ways, distance does grow fondness and it's a lot easier to see my boyfriend and to make our interactions more lighthearted when we're not like living together and arguing about super simple stuff on that note I love you guys um I'm gonna take today I don't have my bong I have a nice little hemp wrap so I'm gonna take a hit of that I hope you guys can join me It's good, guys. I just got a med card, so I've been smoking on that good, good. <laughs> um, I hope you guys enjoy this little episode I put together for you. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And if you guys haven't subscribed to the Patreon, please check it 
out if you guys want access to the reading list. I also have my YouTube watch list for the Stoner Fairy podcast. It's just videos that I've been watching, videos that are references for my episodes, and videos that um, influence me and inspire me to make different episodes for you guys. My Instagram is at the Stoner Fairy, and my Patreon is patreon.com slash stoner fairy podcast. Love you guys. Bye.